Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in one more time. I really appreciate you guys, as always. Uh, this week, we had a very special guest on, a very uh, someone who contrasts uh, our typical guest. She's a very soft-spoken, a very well-spoken uh, young woman who is uh, an author of her own book, uh, A Beautiful Mess. She's also um, very prevalent uh, in the mind, in psychology. She's very um, aware of what she's going through at, at any given time, and she's very in tune with her emotions and is very good at vocalizing that and creating a narrative and a story around that. So I really enjoyed sitting down with her. We had a lot of um, parallel viewpoints that we articulated in two complementary ways, if you will, and something that I think that I'm really proud of to have a thoughtful disagreement and thoughtful um, exchange of thoughts and experiences. It's something for that a lot of people can take from, especially young people, how we navigated certain situations, what our, our, our reflections are on that in hindsight, and what we're doing moving forward. She speaks on how she built her community in, in Instagram and YouTube, um, <clears throat> how she wrote her book and the process around that, you know, to, you know, what it was like on a 10 day retreat with, uh, it's solely in meditation for 10 days. So she's a very beautiful person, a beautiful soul. She's a beautiful mess. And I really appreciated uh, her time and, uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. So check this out. everything first off this is your book right here yeah. a beautiful mess and this is a pen and i need you to sign it <laughs> please and thank you i, I signed it when i no 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 you didn't, you didn't we didn't have a pen i remember this very vividly okay, and i was like oh my god this girl's gonna give me her book and not sign it i'm definitely bringing it and having her sign it now it's a timeless piece that will forever live in my library thank, thank you, you so much, so much. <laughs> and with that welcome to the podcast i thank appreciate you. you taking the time and uh, I appreciate you being willing to, to hop on the other side of the mic because I know that you're constantly on your own podcast, but it's a little bit different as we were just talking about mm -hmm. being on the other side of the mic and being relaxed a little bit and not yeah. having the anxiousness or whatever. Although, from a listener standpoint, like you don't sound anxious at all. You sound very, very comfortable oh, in, in how you do it. But you've been, I mean, geez, how many episodes are you in now on your podcast? I'm not even sure. I don't keep track, but maybe like 30 40? That's solid. Sure. That's yeah. super solid. Mm -hmm. Like we're at, th you might be 30. And I feel like we've been doing this forever. Bria, this is, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Every I week. love, I love being on other people's podcasts. You're right. It's just like, I can just sit back, relax Hang and out. just talk, which is like one of my favorite things to do. So. I know. <laughs> I don't have to think about where it's going and I just rely on you to, to yeah, guide me. Steer the ship or whatever. Right. Exactly. And that's, that, that's the funnest part. Um, mm -hmm. So who, who uh, what other podcasts have you been on? Uh, I've been on one called Adventuring for Knowledge. I've been on my friend Chloe. Adventuring for Knowledge, hold up, mm -hmm. who's that, who's that? Manuel and Brody. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vancouver? Yeah, or Victoria, I think, actually. Oh. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, that's right, Victoria. Mm -hmm. Do you spend much time over on the island at all, or no? You know... I used to love going to the island. I used to love going to Whistler. But ever since I came home from traveling, like, three years ago, even going to Whistler, or even going to Whistler and, like, Vancouver Island is too much travel for me. What? <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. Well, I still go, obviously. But um, I don't know. I just, I really like being in Vancouver. I really like being home. It still hasn't worn off yet. Jeez. I just, I love being in my routine. I feel like I've really... Um, you know, got a lot of the travel out of me and it was such a great time that I, you know, that I got to see the world and explore, but 
Yeah, it was it was really it was really exhausting as well. And after coming home, I just I kind of went to a different sort of I guess season in my life where I didn't want to be traveling so much. I just wanted to be home in my community and grounded. And so yeah, even just like thinking mm-hmm. about packing my bags is like I'm like no, <laughs> don't want to do it. You, yeah. You've gone through that. Yeah, seasons mm-hmm. in your life. That's a really good segue right there. So. Your book, A Beautiful Mess, Mm -hmm. um, which you self-published and put out yourself. I love tangible shit. I love things that I can hold in my hand. Me too. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people uh, write books and just put them out as audiobooks or online as PDFs and stuff, which is cool. Mm -hmm. But I love the, like, yeah, I'm I'm going to put this on my shelf. You know, like that means something to me. Me too. Um, And I grew up reading, um, I was such a bookworm, and so... It's just such a dream come true to be able to have my book in, yeah, in a tangible form, like you said. And I wrote two ebooks before that, so I feel like um, by the time two? I was writing this, so you've written three books. Yeah, but the ebooks were—I don't really count them as books in my head. They were head. just long Instagram captions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and this, like, the amount of um, work that I put into that was just unparalleled to the other ones. It was right. honestly, it was it was pretty awful at times too. You know, you doubt yourself and you it's hard to stay motivated when the goal is so long-term and you don't get to see the progress until, yeah. you know, at the end. So, yeah. But now that mm-hmm. you see the progress, it's definitely here. And it's very well-crafted. It's very poetic. Oh, thank you. It reads like a extremely refined and refurbished journal. And I say that as mm-hmm. a, like the feelings and the emotion behind it is very raw, mm-hmm. but it's beautifully put. I mean, there's an excerpt here. I'll just say... Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a pervasive disbelief that we can both be messy and beautiful simultaneously. But I write this as a reminder to myself and to others out there who are also in need of hearing these words, that beauty can coexist with mess. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like, you know, of the pages of, of the half of this book that I've read, that really embodies the overall message uh, yeah. and sets the tone for the entire book. Like, it's okay. Don't worry. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's beauty and chaos, mm-hmm. um, and you're gonna make it through just fine. Mm-hmm. No, that's exactly right. You put it really eloquently. Um, I think there came a point in my life where I was just so ashamed of what I felt like were all my uh, inherently negative qualities and just messy aspects of my life and just the mistakes that I'd made and. I felt like it was always going to hang over me, those mistakes and the, the qualities that I just, you know, the flaws and the imperfections. But yeah, it was, it was only until I started to realize that it's, it's all a part of the whole experience. And without, without the mess, there is, we can't really find beauty. And there's beauty in being messy and raw and human. Mm-hmm. You know, being messy is just a human trait that we all kind of carry. But mm-hmm. forget a human trait. It's a nature trait. Like mm-hmm. I think, um, a lot of the times when we try to navigate the world as young people, um, and you're 22, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 22 as well, so that's a mind fuck. Um, <laughs> um, w- weird. Still hard for me to get my like mind around that. With anyways. Um, me too. Yeah, anyways, you're so accomplished. You, well, no, no, no. You've 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 transitioned like a hundred times, but yet been accomplished within the things that you've gone. And uh, anyways, mm, that's another you. story. But mm-hmm. going back to like, I think as uh, we as young people try to find answers in this world and try to find direction in this world i think you know nature is a great starting point 
whether you want and, and in all facets of life whether it's highly technical or high or if it's grounded in intuition uh, nature is extremely beautiful but it's extremely messy have you ever been in a forest there's shit everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but if you think about it when you see the forest and it's all chaotic we don't see that as messy we you just don't see, it see as that it's messy because it's just following its nature like Absolutely. a tree properly in nature is not supposed to be all nicely it's trimmed straight yeah it just yeah. grows wherever it wants to grow and you know if we sort of take a step back, we can see that inherently it is a little bit all over the place, but naturally your mind just sees it as majestic and beautiful because it's following its nature and it's not trying to be anything that it's not supposed to be. And that's intuitive mm -hmm. to you, right? Like that's, that's something you as a human, you can just go into it and and see, and there's systems within that and you can get very analytical in nature. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, whether that's Fibonacci sequences or Mm -hmm. like, for instance, in finance, uh, there's something called the Elliott wave theory, which is like stock, um, price movements will reflect patterns in nature crazy really? yeah, yeah. Wow. trust me it's it's in the textbooks wow. um do you that, ever see like mandela patterns in nature mandela patterns mm-hmm. what are those I, kind of like um almost like the flower of life sequence you, you mm. know there's I, i'm not sure how to describe it but when I did mushrooms, um, <laughs> I didn't mean to bring this up so early, but when I did mushrooms, I Let's think maybe it. like a year or six months ago, I everywhere that I looked that was, you know, of the natural world was oh, just... This is it? Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Like when I looked into the clouds or when I looked on grass fields, I would just see it imprinted in the in everything. And even in the tree barks, I would see... Yeah, it was, it was crazy. You would see... Uh, like patterns like that yeah mandela patterns um why is it called a mandela pattern yeah i have no idea idea? maybe (laughs) we can find that out for us um that's Mm -hmm. super cool that's like um those glasses that you would look into kind of yeah like kaleidoscope kaleidoscope thank you yeah when i closed my eyes that's all i would see too it was so um such an interesting experience for sure so Mm -hmm. mushrooms hello God, I love sounding like the Joe Rogan podcast. It's awesome. <laughs> Have you ever done DMT? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what? No, I haven't. I want to kind of, <laughs> I think. I told you, come to come to Hornby. We got a spot for you. Don't worry about okay, it. I got people good. for you. I got, I got a forest for you to explore, beaches for you to frolic on. Don't worry. We got the whole nine. Um, in the summer. In the summertime. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so you went on a, a trip pun intended um (laughs) (laughs) you've been on a journey throughout your life you went on a trip overseas and you went on a a mushroom trip there you go there's Mm -hmm. your trifecta right there Mm -hmm. um to lead you to this person that you are today and that's kind of what i was alluding to earlier of like yeah you've gone down a lot of different facets facets you've done a lot of different things um but in each one that you've pursued you've gone full speed ahead at Mm-hmm. and been just just, do- just dove in I'm, I'm, go- I'm going for it i'm getting on yeah. a plane i'm not coming back you know even when you know your leg gets torn off mm-hmm. or, or whatever it may be right and i think that that's i've always had a big issue with that because i am a proponent of time management right mm-hmm. and so the lesson i had to learn early was you know i was when i was 17 18 16 i was like I need to figure out what it is I want to do right now because I know that these extra two, three, four, ten years right here are going to be so valuable, mm-hmm. valuable, and I don't want to mess up and go down the wrong path because mm-hmm. if I mess up and go down the wrong path, I'll have wasted time. And I understand the exponential effect of time, and that would scare the shit out of me, right? Now, obviously, now I might have a little bit of a different perspective, mm-hmm. but you know that was something I was constantly worried about did you ever have similar feelings of like, well, it's okay that I don't know what I want to do right now because you seem very passionate in whatever you're doing, you know? 
Oh my gosh. Everything you said resonated so much with me. Um, ever since I was little, like from, from the earliest time I can remember having conscious memories, I always had the sense that there was a ticking clock. Yes. And always had a sense of, I needed to go out there and do something and, you know, accomplish something to prove myself, to prove my worth to my family, to the society, to, to me, to the world. Um, and it, you know, in the beginning, it kind of presented itself as just healthy ambition of me always wanting to, right. you know, do well in school, do well at dance and just be a good daughter, be a good sister, be a good friend. But as I got older, it just became really um, obsessive and it, it was destructive. It was a destructive force and it didn't really allow me to pursue things from a I think a healthy balanced place. Mm. And that's what you what you're alluding to as well, of me just always going full steam ahead with everything that I do. It's because I come from this place of time is scarce. I'm running out of time. I need to do this and I need to do it now. And that can be really good and it can aid us in many ways. But for me, eventually I I think that what I've learned now from from my like five, six years of, you know, young adulthood is that I I want to slow down and I want to do things from a more yeah, more balanced and pure place, but for sure, um, that 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 need and that feeling, that drive, it, it just all stemmed from this this feeling of unworthiness and this insecurity within myself, my own my own inherent worth. I felt like my worth had to be earned and proved, and so I felt like I had to do things and be things and accomplish things and have things to make that to make that um, value and worth be known to myself and to others. Hmm. Yeah, I, and I don't want to. Um, when I've sort of reflected on how I got to where I am, I just see more pieces coming together of a result of my childhood and my upbringing. And it's not to blame my parents at all because they definitely did the best that they could. And I, I think they did a wonderful job, but mm-hmm. um, the way that I was raised and parented definitely influenced, influenced me. And like growing up, I, I remember one of my earliest memories was of when I was three years old and I was in the kitchen in our apartment in Burnaby and my dad was throwing plates at my mom and you know they were just screaming at each other and I think they were missing her and hitting the wall and I just remember plates breaking and me sort of like hiding under the table and eventually when they settled down I would crawl I crawled out of the table and just you know back to bed and I remember I just cried all night that night and it was the first time that I remembered understanding that um or I thought that uh, there was something wrong with my family and that this was something that wasn't supposed to happen and that didn't happen to other people at all. And because we don't talk about these things, I, I honestly went through most of my life thinking that um, domestic violence and you know disruption within the family was something that only I was going through and that you know it was an experience that was just individual to me and so i felt so much shame around the fact that my family was broken that there was something wrong with them and i'd go to my friends houses and their parents would all be so happy and hugging and kissing mm-hmm. and i would walk away from that and just think oh my gosh i can never invite any of my friends over cuz they're just going to see right through this right away and i'm going to be such a fraud and no one's going to love me it always came came back to the sense that I was I wasn't going to be loved and I wasn't lovable inherently. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even things that didn't seem like they related to me, I would always find a way to relate it back to the sense that I, you know, inherently was deeply flawed and broken. Mm. So then you then that was your motivating factor for moving quickly through life and having purpose. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. There's 
and these are things that you, you can see in hindsight, can't see in the moment. No. And even, <laughs> you know, if there's a young person listening to this, they'll, they'll maybe get it and be like, okay, maybe that applies to me, but you won't truly get it. Like I, yeah, I remember hearing things when I was younger and be like, okay, like that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. I get it. Like, I don't know uh, what's a, uh, the hardest rock you can stand on is truth. You know, and be like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, like that makes sense. Like, mm -hmm. I get that. Okay. Yeah. But like, it, even just in this last couple of years, I've been like, oh, shit. Like, that's <laughs> what that means. Right. And I don't even like fully. And I, But now I have the realization where I'm like, oh, shit, I still don't fully understand that concept. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, but it's in hindsight. One of the things, you know, I, I think that uh, I can relate a little bit to you in a sense of mm -hmm. you said you're you didn't belong right this this was abnormal uh you didn't deserve this um that's uh imposter uh syndrome right mm -hmm. where you're like okay i'm here in this position but f secretly i'm a fraud mm -hmm. but in reality you're not like mm -hmm. in reality you know for instance i'll say a lot like well i, I just i've ran into a lot of luck right i mean you'll say the same yeah, thing I i've ran that. into oh, fuck, mm -hmm. I'm, you know hey like steph you're doing so well from yourself well like yeah i'm like i've gotten really lucky mm -hmm. you know like i know you've said that <laughs> you know i but, definitely have but yeah. where do you where do you think that stems from because in and yeah sure like i believe in love i could i believe in luck don't get me wrong but there's something else there that you're doing psychologically mm -hmm. that it's not just fucking luck you know there's right. something that you're doing inside to say that you know well i think this is something that i only started to understand maybe this year but for most of my life, I presented an image of myself and a version of myself that wasn't actually, you know, my genuine true self. And because of that, whenever the, you know, the mask that, that I would put on, whenever that version of Steph, you know, of myself would be loved or approved or would, um, you get know, accomplish things or, yeah, yeah be yeah. validated, I always felt like, yeah, that's great. That person is you know, accomplishing things and getting to places, but I'm not actually Ooh. because I'm lying to everyone and to myself. Right. And, and just, I think from having more grace and compassion with myself, it's not that I was trying to deceive people or lie to people. It's just that I was doing the best with the tools that I had. And with the tools that I had, the way for me to feel a sense of belonging and love was to try to mirror other people and fit in with the crowd that I was in. And so I always, I don't know. I think I'm I'm very good at shedding my skin and just putting on whatever I need to to like I said blend in with the people that I'm around and a lot of that is also a result of my upbringing I think because I I didn't want to feel like I was um, standing out as someone who is Chinese and who didn't maybe understand the same customs that my Western friends did so I learned to you know observe and adapt very quickly and. Um, it just kind of bled into my adulthood as well. You're, you're a chameleon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You're a chameleon in many senses. Mm -hmm. It's really, I like that. I haven't, I haven't heard that before. Um, yeah, that person that's in this situation mm -hmm. under these circumstances mm -hmm. is, is doing that and they're doing very well right. at that, but that person's not me. Exactly. Here's so the thing, that person is I'm you. I'm actually the imposter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Right, right. Mm -hmm. So you, that person or that persona that you put up or that, you know, uh, layer of skin that you put up, like, oh, wow, look how good they're doing. Mm -hmm. Like, you're almost like looking at it like, holy yeah, shit, yeah, like, no, they're really killing it, yeah. you know? Like, what the fuck <laughs> am I doing over here? Uh -huh. And I, 
I feel that a hundred percent. And then the way I've dealt with that is like, shit, like that person's doing so well over there. Like, what am I doing? Even though that person is literally me and I'll be like, Mm -hmm. what am I doing? And then I'll go and I'll try to be successful in another lane or something like that. But like, and then try to find identity or purpose there. And even if I go and I do well over there, I'm like, fuck That person's doing good. This person's doing good. Now I'm, I'm, I'm in between two different versions of myself and I'm still not doing shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like what kind of a weird paradox have I just created in my head? Right. I know. (laughs) So messed up to think about. Um, but we are, for the most part, we're usually the ones that are the most awful to ourselves. We're usually the ones that are holding ourselves back from experiencing true joy and love. You know, it's not other people. It's not obstacles most of the time. It's us. Like, a lot of the times it's just a change in mindset or a change in belief systems. And who's the person that holds the key to those changes? It's, you it's know, you. it's me. It's you. It's it's all of us. So, yeah, it's it's been a big learning curve for sure. And I'm still learning every day. Mm-hmm. That's another thing right there, too, is like I used to, so back with that imposter syndrome, I used to say, I w- I'm just lucky or, you know, internally, I would say, or not even internally, like, say, if I was within an organization, within an organization, I would be like, oh, it's like, I, you know, I'm just figuring shit out on the go. I have no idea what I'm doing type mm-hmm. thing or whatever, and try to be humble that way. But then clearly have some, some natural talent or whatever in, in that field. But now, you know, because again, I felt like I actually had no skill. Like I just was like, like you would be performing tasks that would clearly mm-hmm. demonstrate you have skill and you're well versed right. in doing. And then, but internally, you'd be like, no nah, shit, that's not me. That's that person over right. there, which is this weird thing. And now I've kind of changed that to be like, I love the humbleness of it, mm-hmm. and I and I still want to reflect that. But now I'm just like, well, you know what? I'm just trying to input information and learn as quickly as I can because mm-hmm. I don't want to disregard that there's a shit ton that I have no clue about. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to disregard that. Yeah, like I have put in a lot of time here and, and gained some skills. So I'm trying to find a middle ground there, but I'm still playing those psychological tricks on myself, know, you know? know. But now I can recognize them a little bit, yeah. kind of. Well, the first key is awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And so my version of oh, I'm just lucky. The thing that I always said is. I was very um, fortunately unfortunate yes. in the extent that I had a lot of um, sort of, you know, difficult things happen to trauma. me. Yeah, trauma from from my upbringing. And, you know, I, they were they were so extreme that in the after they happened, it was like I either had to grow and learn from that experience or I would be ruled and. Um, the rest of my life would just be centered around trying to move on from that mm-hmm. without it, without myself being able to. So either it was going to send me down this path of victimhood and blame and negativity, or I was going to be able to grow and become stronger from it. And, you know, all the defining moments in my life, you know, the in my book, when I write about my sexual assault or the violence or, you know, when I was really suicidal, all these things, they... They forced me. It was like a fork in the road of, okay, Steph, where, what are you going to choose? You're going to either choose this path or you're going to become really resentful and bitter and become a victim. And because they were so extreme, it was very clear to me that it was, you know, it's like you I didn't have. You made it binary. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe in my head I made it binary, but it wasn't this slow sort of steady state of just growing resentful at the world. I felt like there was, I either could immediately go down that route or immediately take take a different route so mm -hmm. it was good for my my mind that tends to play on polarities and extremes for me to see it in that way yeah i totally play on polarities and extremes as Mm -hmm. well and that's it's it's really crazy to sit here and talk to you because similar methodologies Mm -hmm. done executed in two different ways Mm -hmm. so 
like you said, oh, this is how I felt. I was lucky. Well, let me let me come back at you with your version of pol- uh, polarity. So I would do the same thing in that I would think, okay, this thing happened to me, right? Whatever this event is that makes me feel horrific. And mm-hmm. now, you know, I see how people in my environment are reacting to this situation. And I would just, again, polarize it and say, okay, I can either let this dominate me and like I can then become, I can let this event or this emotion or this person or this community or whatever it may be dictate me and become essentially like an utter failure mm-hmm. and see that around. Or I can just go 100% the other way and just blast through this event, person, feeling, whatever it is, yeah. and just go full steam ahead that way. And I would just go, okay, it's it's A or B. Mm-hmm. It's either complete and utter success or complete and utter failure. It's like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like pick, pick your road. And then when I put it like that in my mind, I was like, well, it's, fuck, it's really easy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? It's an easy decision, right? How to play that trick. Well, even something that my mind did... Um, beyond just trying to move forward when I was um, after after I was the sexual assault I which is when you're 14 yeah so in the summer between grade 9 and grade 10 Ray, so, how old are you my bad <laughs> just kidding buddy I'm just blasting our so around like 14 or 15 I think yes. um, I was in China at the time and basically I'd gone to a club with my cousin who was 16 mm-hmm. and you know, they don't really ID there. They, If you sort of look the part, they're like, okay. Right, Asians all the same age as you yeah, were saying exactly. earlier, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> For the most part. Um, and I remember even when I was, you know, getting ready and dressing up, there was a part of me that, that was like, you know, you have no business wearing these heels. You have no business dressing this way. But I just wanted to, like I said, fit in with my cousin and her friends. And she was so cool to me at that time. She was older. And right. yeah, I just wanted to just wanted to sort of make her proud, I guess. And so we went to the club. And um, this was the first time that I'd really had hard alcohol either or oh. as well. Yeah. So, you know, very quickly I got super drunk. And um, we just started, we started dancing. And I remember... Um, flashing lights. I don't remember much from that night, but yeah, I remember she was dancing with a guy and he had a friend. And so, sorry, I started dancing with him as well. And just like one thing sort of led to another and then we were kissing and then he was sort of leading me off the dance floor. And um, yeah. And then when I sort of realized what was going on, it was, it was too late. And um, so I, I remember kicking him off and I ran um, ran out of the room and found my cousin and I just grabbed her and I said we have to go right now and so we left and um, the whole cab ride home and that whole night too when I was sleeping as well I felt like there was this layer of just filth on me that could never be washed away no matter what I did and I just felt instantly so um, gross in my skin and like I was dirty like I there was just um like I'd done something just terribly wrong and like I'd never be able to right this wrong. And so because I think that shame was just so immense and so all consuming, I felt like I wouldn't be able to, wouldn't be able to go about my normal life with that hanging over me. And I remember the next morning when my brothers asked me, you know, how the night was, I, I just immediately, immediately wanted to start crying and just, you know, um, run away from that truth. So in my head, something clicked and I just told myself, you know what stuff that never happened. You're going to forget that happened. And yeah, you're just going to wipe the slate clean and no one's going to ever have to know about it and you're okay. And so, yeah, I just like smiled and yeah, it was fun. And after that, literally I, I truly forgot 
and I, I only know this because of um, you know, what I later on started doing with the social media blogging and being very transparent with my eating disorder and, you know, the other things that I struggle with. I, I never was, you know, trying to hide anything from anyone, but I always left that part of my story out because just, I forgot. Hmm. And so it's just crazy the power that your mind has to, um, change the narrative that you're telling yourself to fit what you, the expectations that you have of yourself, you know? Mm. And I think also the reason why I had so much shame around it, and I, the more that I've talked to other people that have, you know, survived rape and, you know, things like that, it's always, be, we feel so much trauma and shame around it because we feel like we were partly responsible. You know, I feel it's like... It's your fault. Yes, mm-hmm. I, fe- I really do feel like I thought that I played an instrumental role in what happened because of how I dressed and how I was acting and how I was flirting or how drunk I was. And so because of the role that I played in it, that's where the shame came in and that's where the secrecy started happening mm. as well. And um, yeah. Hmm. So you felt as if you could never write your wrong, but you mm-hmm. actually physically wrote your wrong or not your wrong, but the wrong in your book, which is really interesting. This is just weird, but I'm going to go with it anyways. Mm-hmm. You you felt as if you had forgotten about it, right? Mm-hmm. So I've exp- I've experienced similar things in my life where, you know, uh, so I don't live where I grew up, right? I live right. in, in a, a Vancouver now. And so when I go back very infrequently, sadly, I will have, you know, community members say, oh, I can't believe that this happened to you or this happened to you or this happened to you. And I'm like, fuck that did happen right, right. you know uh-huh. and um and i recently just went to a physio uh not a physiotherapist i do go to a physiotherapist shout out nick low um <laughs> uh, i just went to a um psychiatrist and yeah or a counselor or whatever you want to call it and it was such a weird experience for me because i hadn't done that i went through like child therapy when i was a kid mm-hmm. like the government put me in uh child therapy or whatever um, and I hadn't done it like the 10 years, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, through the first couple of sessions they're like, okay, like tell me about your life. Mm-hmm. And I had looked, my mechanism for coping with that is I had looked at everything throughout my entire life as mm-hmm. if I had read it in a newspaper, mm-hmm. you know? So like, oh, like I, I know the events. Right. I can see the pictures. I know the headline. I know every detail of the story. Uh-huh. It didn't happen to me though. Right, like distancing yourself Happened from to it. that person. Mm, interesting. Whoever the, that person right, is, right? right? And then so kind of like closing the space um, between who that person is and who I am. Mm-hmm. And that leads me onto a bigger concept that I want to um, bounce off of you a little mm-hmm. bit where in meditation you teach creating space or creating distance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a concept within that um, that there's a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is inevitable. Pain is mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Our world is pain. But suffering um, is the resistance to that pain. Mm-hmm. And so that, in, in turn, again, suffering is a resistance to that pain. So you're creating space, but you all, you could also be hugging it. You could also hug those emotions. As in, when I look at these trauma, as again, you were saying from your past, these tra- uh, traumatic events, mm-hmm. I almost look at it like a fight where... You know, in boxing or MMA, you can get distance mm-hmm. between your opponent or you can hug them. Right. And, and those are two, like, I don't like want to... Like the clinch, right? Like the clinch, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know anything about boxing, but that's just how it, it goes in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, when I read your book, 
it seems as if you've created incredible closeness and incredible comfortability with like i know it's right here mm. i know this issue is right mm-hmm. right here and i'm comfortable with that issue being here like the issue is yeah. not gone the problem's not gone the experience right. is not gone it's just right here and you're wrestling with it constantly and mm-hmm. i even see that in you today mm-hmm. like i even see your mannerisms change a little bit when you speak about these uh, these topics yeah. and these issues and i think it's so interesting that you have i mean you have you know a decade in between those events and now but it's still very real mm-hmm. and you're still very much in the process. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind mm-hmm. and what I'm trying to get to here is you're still very much in the process now. What's the next step for you in terms of dealing with this shit? <laughs> because you're past the point of I have a problem. I'm dealing with that problem. I'm reflecting on that problem, mm-hmm. but you're not still, it's not, we're not uh, free of it. Yeah. You're still very much there. So mm-hmm. how do you get free of it? Well, I don't know if the goal necessarily is for me to like liberate myself from that narrative. Thank I you think for it's... getting that word. That's the one I couldn't think of. <laughs> Could read your mind. <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's more about uh, being, being able to integrate it into my experience and my, my identity without it, without it um, taking over and without it, dictating where I allow myself to go, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for me, it's more just about integration now and less about trying to like detach myself from it or heal myself fully. I think the healing process for me is about bringing it into my story and into who I am without without it letting me, or without letting it sort of rule my life. So for example, um, for a long stop. time, you, just said, mm. you see what you just did with your semantics there without yeah. letting me, sorry, letting, letting it. Right. Yeah. True. You know, I don't know. Sorry. No, I like that. Thanks for know. catching on. Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, for, for example, for a long time, I think it really derailed a lot of my intimate personal relationships because, right. um, this, like, I even remember the, the person that assaulted me, he had a beard and he was like, I think um, English or Irish or something like that. And I always had this huge aversion to dating guys that had any kind of like facial Should've hair. Shaved today. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it's, okay. it's only when I feel it against my skin that it, like gives me the shivers. But um, yeah, I think it, it, it really didn't allow me to fully trust the person that I was with and let go of that fear around them. And so that's just an example of how I think it, played a part in or it still had its hold around me and its grips around my life but now for the most part I think it's always going to give me this kind of visceral response when I talk about it because it is just it was such a traumatic experience and that trauma is still very much locked within my body mm. and interesting um interestingly when I stretch and when I go to yoga sometimes and I remember when I danced and I did a hip opener workshop I remember crying so much during it and there were just a lot of stored up pent up emotions I think in my body trapped in certain parts of my in body. Your hips. There yeah, you go. in my hips, honestly. Damn. And so um, my hips are so tight. <laughs> me too now. I, I need to get back to stretching and yoga. But yeah, things like that I think it's always gonna just be a working progress and mm. I'm gonna keep working towards it. But to the extent that it it really um derails my life and doesn't allow me to go have certain experiences mm-hmm. um that's i think i'm hopefully beyond that. that yeah more and more and the, the more i talk about it and the more that um conversation is met with empathy and not judgment mm-hmm. and not sympathy because there's a difference between mm-hmm. that um i find that the more i'm able to to heal from it and integrate it into 
into my life and my story. And I think that's really a huge part of shame too. Getting through shame and moving through shame is about learning how to, like you said, I'm, I'm like very close to all these things that I once felt so much shame around, you know, I'm like hugging it and embracing it. And for me, that's been a huge part of moving beyond it is saying, you know what, this happened to me and there's no way I'm going to be able to get around that. So I might as well embrace that part of my story and be able to, you know, share it and help other people also move on and live your life without having it hold you back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not let those events or emotions dictate your day to day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I like that you've taken the approach. Like, again, we said there's two approaches and, you know, you can create distance, you know, through actually creating distance or you can create distance or comfortability or acceptance through closeness. Right. Mm -hmm. I like that you've taken the closeness route. Um, on the, on the topic of, Emotions ruling your day or mm -hmm. ruling your narrative or ruling your life or ruling your week or ruling your decision making. I find that to be very interesting that you said that because you are a person that when I read your books and when I uh, listen to your podcast or mm -hmm. I watch your videos, you're such an emotional person. Mm -hmm. Like you're just <laughs> spilling out fucking emotion left, right. It's beautiful. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I don't mean to put any negative connotation mm -hmm. on that. And yet you're like, well, I don't want to be emotional and I want to be logical in my th thought making. And I want to have, you know, think thoughtfully about what I'm doing and not let my subconscious rule it. And so what advice would you give to people? Because I'm the exact opposite aware I'll say, okay, I don't want to be emotional. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let past events or my ego or whatever it is rule my day, my life. And so I'm just going to be extremely logical. Right. And the way I do that is that little emotion faucet. I just go, <laughs> see ya. Right. Done. Mm -hmm. But you somehow have created a contrast and a way to have, you know, essentially have your cake and eat it too, mm -hmm. where you can be emotional, funny, bubbly, and at the same time not you know, let those emotions rule you. How the f yeah. do you do that? Well, it's like, you know how everyone always says that, you know, to, to try to be like children and how children are so in the moment and so pure. I think there's, um, in one aspect, I 100% agree with them. But in the other aspect, children are very um, emotionally volatile. You know, they don't have a lot of emotional maturity either. It's like they don't get a cookie and nope, they start crying they and bawling. So nope. you don't necessarily want to be so sensitive in the aspect that you can't... Um, see your emotions in perspective and be able to have some sort of discipline and control over it. But also, like you said, you don't want to necessarily go to the other extreme where you're just closed off and um, very numb to all the emotions that you experience. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's been about resilience. So learning, learning how to be vulnerable to the world and feel things, whether it's negative or positive, um, good feelings, bad feelings, uh, all, feel all the things, but allow yourself to um, learn the skills to navigate those emotions and not let them drag you down so that you react to them. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's it's like the way that I see it is you can either sort of put on armor and put on the shield and go out into the world and deflect everything and not let anything penetrate you. Or you can learn how to let those things, you know, impact you have resilience enough that you can if it's negative and if it's hard for you to for you to deal with to have the the strength to to come out of it and not let it just drag you into this you know 
spiral of sadness and um, okay. emotional volatility. How do you learn those skills? Well, it's it's cool that you mentioned meditation because I think that has helped me a lot with being able to feel what's being brought up to the surface through meditation and then having that pause, that space in between mm-hmm. before you react, right? That's the key is like that moment in between. And same thing with what you're saying with pain and suffering. It's like we all can feel that physical sensation or the emotional sensation of pain, but the pause between whether we're going to attach to that and actually react to it and feel the suffering is is your decision. And I learned yeah. that very um, distinctly at the Vipassana meditation course that I did. Mm. It's a 10-day silent meditation course where you go to the center and there's one in BC in Merit. Good God. Yeah, and it was the most transformative 10 days of my life just because the physical experience was always the same. You know, you ate the same things. The schedule was the same. You wake up at four, you meditate for like eight, 10 hours a day, every day. It's the exact same schedule every day. But my experience of it from day one to day 10 was entirely different. And it was only because by the end, I just very much um, kind of relaxed into it and stopped resisting things. And I just embraced everything that came it came with it. The silence, the the feelings of you know boredom or wanting to distract myself in the beginning in day one that ruled me and that just made me want to run and made me want to like you know be anxious and stressed and cry and just unhappy but by the end of it it's like oh i'm uncomfortable oh i'm you know cold oh whatever and it just kind of washed over me and i didn't attach any feeling or need to to let that penetrate my like consciousness at all it's like it just came and it went and there's a meditation app called headspace and they describe the thoughts that we experience in meditation or the sensations as clouds so they kind of come and then they go away and we don't need to like attach to the cloud or look at the cloud or even acknowledge the cloud we can just sort of let it pass by and ambiguity 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 uh-huh. is that the word maybe or know. yeah just like not a non-attachment Can you and that? i'm sorry i really need to know this word <laughs> it's the it's the ambiguity, ambiguity? Yeah. i don't think it is for the yeah i just need to know what that word because that's it's 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 coming to my mind um <laughs> yeah the state of essentially not of seeing things letting them go by not creating resistance not creating attachment just seeing them as they are mm-hmm. um creating distance within that yes yeah, totally that's the difference between pain and suffering uh, dude, yeah, eight, eight to ten hours? Yeah. Eight to ten hours. At the meditation course, So yeah. when you say eight to ten hours, you mean eight to ten hours? <laughs> yeah. So it's like you wake up, um, you have, I don't remember, I'm actually going back in April, but wow. the schedule is something like five to six, you meditate in the meditation hall, and then six to seven, you meditate in your room, and then seven to eight, you have like breakfast or something, and then like some free time. And then like nine to 10, you're meditating in the meditation hall again. So it's like, by the time it was lunchtime, you'd already meditated like four hours. Yeah. So it was um, very rigorous kind of schedule, but it, it just helps. Like I said before, I'm very all or nothing, very extreme. And I like this sort of like, (laughs) yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like full immersion. There's no sort of dilly dallying about it. It's like, no, you get it right away. No bullshit. No, no bullshit. But in the... In the practical term of wanting to wanting it to be a part of your daily life and daily routine, I don't recommend 
you know, going cold turkey into that. For me, yeah. I had to build up by doing one minute a day and then two minutes and then three. And then I got to 10 minutes every day. And that's what I still do now is 10 minutes every day. And that's sustainable for me. It wouldn't be sustainable for me to do like two hours a day just for my my personality and my lifestyle right now. I float between five and 10. Um, five and 10 hours? Five minutes. and 10 okay, minutes. Okay. <laughs> Everybody relax, okay? I'm going to get all these crazy DMs and stuff. Um, no, no, no. Um, five to 10 minutes and okay. <laughs> i try to uh, break up my day with meditation and I'll, mm. I'll either do it dead in the morning so i work in finance so i have to be up very early mm. and I'll, I'll cut it cut out an hour just for like maybe i'll run or maybe i'll go to the gym mm-hmm. or if i'm not doing that i will um it'll be just like mobility stretching and and meditation and breath work right nice. and so and i love that mm-hmm. or i'll do it like for instance today crazy hectic day had to be you know at working early um got to run in, in, the, in the middle of the work day thankfully but you know didn't get chance until the afternoon just a couple hours ago before mm-hmm. i came here and at that point in the day like i'll go like i use calm i'll set mm, just 10 minutes yeah, right okay. 10 minutes 10 minutes i like i struggled so much i'm literally on my 130th practice i know because it tells me <laughs> you know or whatever and i've been doing right. it like essentially since the start of last year and it's like i'm looking up and i'm like three and a half minutes are you fucking kidding me <laughs> <I know. laughs> isn't it crazy how slow time passes oh my yeah. god and i'm still so bad at it yeah. i'm still horrifically bad and i like i i know i just i do breath focused and and that's it i don't use any sound or nothing mm-hmm. yeah um, like i just i just go breath that's it period right. and I've tr- I've got I've tried for the thirty minutes. You know I've done it. Mm-hmm. I suck at it. I'm horrific. So just for you to say, oh, I did an hour. Then you go eat. Then I go do an- another hour. Like I actually know how hard that is. Yeah. So when you're in that moment, I'm just curious. And I don't know if listeners have gone and done mm-hmm. that or not. If you haven't, please try to you know get it into your daily practice of some way or just find a way or just give it a shot. And don't just give it one shot. Give it ten or yeah. give it five. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, please. Mm-hmm. But so when you go for these hour long mm-hmm. sessions, like what's your strategy? <laughs> well, I never, I didn't have a strategy at all. It was just get through the hour. Like the first few days, I'm not exaggerating when I'm saying every time we would go into the meditation hall, I would have this whole, like, you know, sensation come over me of I need to get the fuck out of here mm-hmm. and I need to run away mm-hmm. just because it was so hard for me to be with myself, with my own um, thoughts and the silence, the silence was just so, it was deafening. It was kills you. Uh, yeah. It kills you. And oh. I think the, the reason why I was always like medicating myself with distractions was because I didn't want to feel all the things that I was trying to mm-hmm. run away from. And a lot of it was, um, like for example, when I was there in my head, I wrote letters to every single member of my family because there was just so much. Yeah. I felt like there were so many unsaid things, things that I wanted to get off my chest and so many um, so many feelings of guilt or resentment or anger or frustration that I'd never been able to communicate with them. And growing up, it was, you know, we didn't have a very um, open communication sort of policy within my household. Right. So coming home from that Vipassana meditation course, I, yeah, I wrote all the letters and like with my parents, it was the most um dramatic i guess but it really healed our relationship and it really allowed us to move forward from there like for example with my father there there was just so much anger towards him and i couldn't get around the fact that he had been so 
in my eyes, like awful to us. And so like, I just thought that he was such a bad person. And I, I would say that I hated him and I didn't want him at my wedding and all these things. And I tried to get emancipated when I was younger. And it was just like a whole host of, yeah, I know I was really resentful and bitter, but, uh, and because I, you know, this is the, the thing that I would never admit to anyone is that I saw so much of myself in him. I could relate so much to his temperament and his personality. And whenever people would say that I was like my father because we had similar interests or similar drive and work ethic, I would always get so angry. I'd be like, don't you dare say that I'm like my dad. Cause mm-hmm. in my eyes, I thought that my mom was the good person and my dad was the, the bad, bad person. person. So if you're saying that I'm like my dad, then clearly I'm bad. And that was a lot of, I think why I also felt those feelings of just being broken and not enough but anyways there was coming home from the meditation course i sat him down and i you know i invited i invited him for coffee i think and we talked for like two hours and in the beginning it was so awkward i was like hi dad like (laughs) thanks for meeting me um but afterwards i you know i just well let me just rewind i think i always stopped myself from fully forgiving him because i always I was always waiting for him to take the first steps. I thought like the responsibility was on him. The onus should be on him because he's the father and he's older. But I had to realize at that meditation course that if our relationship was going to progress and it's better for both of us, if it progresses, if it was going to progress, I needed to take the first step. So inviting him to coffee and telling him, you know, I'm sorry for the role that I played in our relationship being the the way it is now. Cause you know, I said a lot of awful things to him. I said, you know, I was mean to him. I was mm-hmm. spiteful and rude and resentful. And then for the first time, I asked him about his life and his childhood, too. I was always so angry because I was doing all these things when I was younger, you know, school and clubs and sports and dance. And he never seemed to take an interest in my life or what I was doing. And I was so always so angry at him for that. But when I turned the tables around and flipped the switch and, you know, point it point the finger at myself how much time did i take to get to know him how much time did i take to have an interest in him as well and i remember when i was just asking him like what was your mom like what was your relationship with her like what what did you want to be what were your dreams when you were my age what did you you know what were some aspirations that you had and turns out he wanted to be a mathematician and his relationship with his parents was really fraught as well but the look on his face when i was asking him these questions it was just so He was so relieved almost and he was so happy and it almost made me want to cry just thinking about what what it had to have been for him to have this family of three kids and a wife and feel like in his own house and in his own family like he didn't belong like all four of them hated him and were on his wife's side because that's what it was and we made it very obvious that we didn't approve of his actions and that we were on his my mom's side so no, it doesn't make what he did right. It doesn't make the abuse or the violence right, but it does make me have a lot more empathy and compassion for how difficult it must have been for him to navigate his own insecurities. It all stemmed from his own insecurity of not feeling loved from us. And so he tried to force that love, you know, by either buying it sometimes or by literally forcing it with, you know, violence and abuse and threats. And it all just came from this very desperate place of, he didn't feel loved either. And so anyways, that, that two hour conversation that we had was, it was incredible. And now moving forward from that, you know, I, I text him and, you know, we joke around and I just see him as this, this person with such a huge 
capacity to change for the better. And it was almost like he was just waiting for someone to to take a chance in him and to to give him the benefit of the doubt because we never did. And as soon as someone did, he fully embraced that opportunity. Hmm. So, yeah. Wow. Um, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. It's something that's something I need to do. Um, yeah, and it's, it's a hard, hard. hard thing to do. Yeah, it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think part of the problem there, you talk a lot about root causes. Part of the problem there is that when we look at our parents or we're at family gatherings mm-hmm. or if, you know, anytime that our family's around, there's a quote, something that's like, if you think you're insane, go, or if you think you're completely sane, go right. spend a week with your family. I don't know. <laughs> that's like so probably true. wrong. No, no, no. I, I think I've heard that quote too. Um, <clears throat> anyways, and, but I think part of that problem, part of that, the root cause there is when we look at our, 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 our brothers, our mothers, our fathers, we look at them and we say, oh, well, you're, you're our dad or you're my father or mm-hmm. you're my mom. You're supposed to act like yeah. this. Like this yeah. is like, and you're not acting like this. Like I see everyone else. Like again, you go over to my friend's house. I see their moms and right. their fathers acting this way. Why are you acting this mm-hmm. way? What's wrong with you? And then you get all that resentment this way because you have preconceived notions. Yes. And all of a sudden there becomes tension and you don't understand where they're coming from. Well, how about rather than that, we just look at that and say, okay, hi dad. Like you're a person. Yes. Holy fuck. You're a person. Yeah. You're a person that was once a baby. Mm-hmm. And that, that baby then turned into a teenager mm-hmm. and then a young adult that had dreams and aspirations. Yeah. Did something happen there? Did something not happen there? Mm-hmm. Like, But at the end of the day, you're a person. I'm going to treat you like a person, yeah. not treat you like a father. Yeah. Right? And even, you know, on the flip side, maybe that's helpful for parents out there. Like, you're my son or you're my daughter. You shouldn't be acting like this. Like, no, 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 no. Like, mm-hmm that's a fucking person right there. Mm-hmm. Like your dad's this person, your mom's a person, your father or your, or your brother and your sister, they're all people like you're a community. What if you thought of your family like a community? Right. And I don't really even fucking know. I'm just thinking out loud right no, now, I, I like honestly. That. And I think that even ties back into like you assign archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. And that to, to bring a conversation full circle, you assign a certain archetype to yourself. And then when your person grows outside of that archetype being successful in these other fields you're so stuck in that fucking archetype where you're like no 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 that's literally a different person you don't get it i'm not good at that that's literally another person and the same thing as a a son or a a daughter no 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 i'm this archetype and i can only be this way and just to crack that code of being like hey dad like what did you think when you were 19? Like, what? where was your head at at that point? Yeah, like, well, fuck. I think just to treat him as a human being that's very susceptible to their own blind spots and falling short of their own expectations of themselves. I'm sure he didn't grow up thinking that he wanted to be a father the way that he was. You know, I don't right. think anyone aspires to be that way. But, you know, life happens and your own insecurities get in the way. And just to see him as a flawed human being has been really helpful for me. And he, like my mom as well, like no one's perfect. And not not to idolize your parents and put them up on a pedestal where they're beyond mistakes. Like, of course they're not. They're just like us. And archetypes are super helpful because they allow us to understand the 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 sort of like stereotypes that we all fall into, but they can also really hold us back if we start to, like you said, outgrow that archetype. Like I think, so coming from the community that I come from where I talk about, you know, food and nutrition and disordered eating and healthy relationships with food a lot. um, I get the question a lot of, you know, what do you think sparked your eating disorder? So just for, I guess, a little bit of backstory, um, I started dancing when I was four and when I was in 
grade 11, that's when my eating disorder started. And that's when I eventually developed anorexia. But, and I've had to think about this a lot and reflect a lot on how I got to that place. And I think it was because I, I'd always been this person that was very much in control of my life and very much had, um, saw the way that I was acting influence my future for the better. Mm-hmm. And I got to this place in grade 11 where all the efforts that I was making and all the, everything that I wanted to control, I wasn't able to control, especially with my family, especially with my parents. I, I did everything that I could to try to fix their relationship, but obviously it's not on me to fix it. It's, of course. it's on them. And so I wasn't able to influence it. And I was also thinking a lot about my future at the time. I was applying for schools and I wanted to go to the States and blah, blah, blah. But I just felt like at that time that I didn't have any say in what my future was going to look like. I felt like my future was almost predestined. Mm -hmm. And so controlling what I ate and controlling what I put into my body was a really clear way for me to have agency in my life, for me to say, this is what I'm going to do today. And that's going to definitively affect what I'm going to be like or how I'm going to feel like tomorrow. And even though it's so minuscule and petty and just like a very surface level thing of controlling what you eat and what you look like, it really, um, it really gave me a sense of control again. And I latched onto that and it just spiraled out of control from there. But in the beginning, it started from this need for agency and I'd outgrown the archetype of the person that I thought I was, which is, you know, cool, calm and in control. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, my life was not looking like that. So I needed to find another outlet to have some sort of agency and it became, yeah, like I said, food and it, it just sort of grew into that. Yeah, it grew and it spiraled and it snowballed. And before I knew it, I became that person that I never thought I'd be, you know, severely underweight, um, isolated, not, not comfortable eating around people, not comfortable eating in general. And mm-hmm. this is from someone who just grew up loving food. food, like such a passion for eating <laughs> good food. Cause my mom has the most carefree relationship with food. So I just modeled it after mm-hmm. her growing up. But yeah, um, it just, mm slowly got the better of me and also i think when you're in that place you're you're not thinking clearly you know your brain is so starved of nutrients you're not feeding itself adequately that you just don't think in a way that is logical your brain can't function no it can't and the the common sense that anyone really has is just lost upon people that are are starving for for food and for nutrients so yeah, you grew out of that archetype. You know, even today, I, I see you and you talk again. It's funny your earlier patterns still go into today. You, you, well, you, you would talk about uh, polarization and, uh-huh. and decision making and stuff. Even in your book, like you talk about uh, the contrast between you know struggle and beauty and, mm-hmm. and how there's both and there's no black and there's no white. There's just infinite amount of gray zones and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. And even so, when I look at you today, like I see you have an archetype, right? And I see you as a person that is like. You're 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 caring. You're loving. You're insightful. You're knowledgeable. You're intelligent, but you're this type of caring, loving, insightful, intelligent. Interesting. I, Tell and, me more. Right. Uh-huh. Well, know. you know. Uh-huh. Let me go with this a little bit here. And so you have built that around you, but uh-huh. I also see the deep-rooted need to just be like, oh, people think I'm going to do this. Let me do the complete opposite. Interesting. You know. I like, and I don't even know where that leads or where that goes, but this is just from an outsider's point of view. You know what? Um, wow, I've never picked up on that, but you're so right. I think 
what it is for me is as soon as things are going well and as soon as I feel like I'm gaining momentum in certain aspects of my life, it's almost like the the amount of good that I'm receiving in my life currently or in my reality doesn't match my internal belief of myself of someone who is broken and flawed and bad. Mm. So I need to almost sabotage myself and allow my physical reality to match the internal belief systems that I have around myself. It's almost like this like internal karmic justice system that I have for myself. Yeah. I feel like that's what it is. Hmm. That's might be what it is. I don't know. I'm just yeah. telling you my point Interesting of view, observation. my perspective. I never, I never caught that. So, and that's just, that's really interesting because that archetype or that person with those internal karmic systems, I like that <laughs> as well. It's a little woo-woo, but I'm all about yeah. it. I love it. Well, it makes um, it sound good, which it, it, I, but, I definitely think it's a flaw that I want to work on. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. Like sabotaging myself. I get it. I get it. But still, even in that flawed person that you are, like mm-hmm. you've managed to, I mean, you're an author three times. Like, the fuck? Like, you've traveled the world. You've had so many experiences. Like, you've built up communities around you, you know, like very large communities, whether that's like on social media platforms or, or people listen to your podcast or watch your videos on YouTube, you know, people subscribe to this um, archetype that you are now, this person that you have become, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this person that you're very aware you're in the process of making. Mm-hmm. Now, from uh, someone that's now also in the public light a little bit, do you feel a sense of responsibility because of these communities that you've um, brought up to not be wrong in terms of mm-hmm. you have so many eyes on you now. What if you fuck up and then in turn there's a domino effect of people that follow you? Do you feel that responsibility at all? That responsibility or the sense of responsibility has definitely changed and evolved as I have. And right now, like in my life today, I definitely feel huge, a huge um, duty almost to to make it clear to people that I'm not perfect and that I'm just figuring it out as I go. You're a beautiful mess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I don't think it's, I don't think I am trying to stray or f- like not allow myself to make mistakes. I think I'm very open and embracing of the fact that I will definitely be making mistakes in the future and that that's how I learn and that's how I grow. But I do try to make it um, very clear to people that I don't have it all figured out. So whatever I'm saying right now, it's my truth today in this moment, but it doesn't mean it's going to be my truth forever, you know, or tomorrow, right. Or tomorrow or in the next second. And that that's okay. And my, my identity and my idea of myself is very fluid. And I, I just, I think that that serves me best rather than painting or pigeonholing myself into this corner where I feel like I can't grow from there. Mm-hmm. So for example, with, um, I think with every chapter of my life, I've always tried to um, definitively hold on to the, the identity that I had then. So when I was in school, when I was in business school, I was like, okay, I'm a business student. I'm going to be a business person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work in marketing. I'm going to blah, 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 whatever. And I was definitely going to go down that route, even though it was clear to me that I wasn't really enjoying what I was studying because I'd, painted myself in that light and in that identity. And so in that way, it wasn't allowing me to grow as I was naturally growing, but it was only because I got into that accident in Thailand that I was able to, you know, change the trajectory of my, of my life because it was so, it was such an extreme case that it, it forced me to kind of take a, a mental um, inventory of what was going on in my life. But without that, I would have just kept going down that path because I, 
classified myself as that kind of person. Mm-hmm. And I also classified myself as someone who didn't quit. And in my eyes, Dangerous. leaving yeah, leaving business school was a sign of like me quitting or failure. not yeah, failure and not being able to, you know, stick it out. But it that, that wasn't the truth. It was just that I wasn't really feeling like that was the the path that I wanted to go down to bring, you know, the amount of fulfillment and meaning that I wanted to have in my life for mm-hmm. me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that Hmm. the the identification i think is is a is one that's like a slippery slope for me because then Super i can hold slippery. on to it and i won't be open to change and but that mm-hmm. that i that identification will also get you very far yeah at the it same can, time for sure mm-hmm. why are you so vocal through it all you're super vocal right why um cuz i don't think so for example if i've made mistakes in my past which which i have you know a huge amount. Um, the best case scenario that I can think of out of those mistakes is for me to learn from them and for other people to learn from them and not mm-hmm. make the same mistakes. Yeah. And I think I, I learned to be very comfortable with, with my mistakes, um, because they'd always helped me grow. And so because of that, I, I'd always seen them in a positive light. So I always right. wanted to share those experiences mm-hmm. and it's, it's not fair for me to just share the positive things that are going on in my life without telling the backstory of how I got there. Right. Right. So yeah. And also, um, when I started talking about my eating disorder on social media, I think it came at a point where not a lot of people were doing that. And the amount of feedback that I got from people that were saying things like, you know, I've never had my period. I'm like 18. And I like, I've always just, since I was eight, I was on a diet or just random things like that. It would, it was just, heartbreaking to hear all those accounts and those stories and i felt like if my voice could you know help even a little bit why Mm -hmm. wouldn't i why wouldn't i take that opportunity to do so help the community exactly and also Mm -hmm. when i opened up about it there were people in my high school that i went to school with every day that messaged me privately and said you know when you had your you know when you were anorexic i was bulimic or i was struggling with binge eating or i was blah 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 and these are people that i would never have guessed from the surface and they probably wouldn't have guessed what was going on in my internal life mm-hmm. from the surface either. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a huge reminder for me to never, to never assume and to the more open we are, the more we can, the more we can help the people that are going through similar things as us that we just, you know, we live in this world that's so isolated and so picture perfect and, you know, just posting the highlights onto mm-hmm. whatever social media and without sharing the the messiness of the behind the scenes. And I think it's so important at least you know, I've taken it upon myself to to make that a priority in my life, to be transparent and to to tell the story as you know, as the whole story and not just what I think is sexy in the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um <clears throat> radical transparency is a bitch. Um sucks. It's great, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I, I subscribe to it. I'm totally on your side here. Um but, you know, when you're in a, a leadership role, whether that's based on your public eye or based on something you do professionally or personally, mm-hmm. if you're in any leadership role where there's people looking at you and saying, wow, this person is teaching me something, or whether that be a skill or philosophically, emotionally, and whatever role that may be, like th- there is definitely a sense of pressure there. And like I emphasize all the time, like I say shit, like I say a lot of shit, like especially on here, like I say a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first episode, me and Kay Han, who just walked in over there is, you know, we want, we reserve the right to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and I'm going to maybe be wrong every freaking episode Me too. because there's a, there's an, there's an evolution 
that's uh, that's happening here. And in order for me to not lie to you, mm-hmm. I have to say things that will, you know, I believe are true today and will right. be wrong tomorrow. And I'm okay yeah. with that, right? That's that radical transparency. Yeah. But then that goes the other way. Um, and when you're in this public eye, the, the other side of that um, comes to you as well, where you will have people that will just frankly hate you for it, mm. right? Like radical transparency sucks. Like, oh, I see that person and maybe it's a jealousy thing. Maybe it's not, but it's just maybe even if it's internal, mm-hmm. you know, I had a conversation today that was like, Josh, listen, you know, this has never come up, but like you've rubbed me the wrong way over, the, you know, the last year I've known you. I'm like, what? Mm. you know but i I value the hell out of that person for telling me that and like you rubbed me the wrong way for these reasons Mm -hmm. and i'm over here like damn like i like i didn't have any of those intentions though that's a Mm. miscommunication and Mm -hmm. i'm so sorry and that's a really painful moment like a super painful moment but you need that to have that radical transparency so and i say those two examples to bring it back and say Maybe you have what makes you special is you have radical transparency within the people as to bring the conversation really full circle Mm -hmm. within the people in yourself. You know, the anorexic Steph is talking to the foodie Steph and the foodie Steph is talking to the traveler self Steph and you're all having this conversation within each other and you're all being brutally honest and the result is what you get in a book or what you Mm -hmm. get on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And that's just me again being an observer. But I think that radical transparency is so fucking um, valuable. I steal that from Ray Dalio. Um, Mm. Uh, do you know Ray at all? I've heard of him, yeah. Uh, he's probably the greatest hedge fund, or he is the greatest hedge fund manager ever. And um, uh, I just finished his book, Principles uh, for Life and Work. He's a great um, writer as well. That's his idea of radical transparency within work organizations. Oh. It's very cool. I re- uh-huh. definitely recommend that you should um, read it. You get a lot of value in it. On that same uh, kind of notion, he also speaks about failures and rather than and what i see you doing is you don't look at yourself as uh the sole owner of your failures you just kind of look at your failures as in you're the manager of your failures okay that was a failure that Mm -hmm. employee was a failure Mm -hmm. like my life is a business and that employee was a failure let's put that employee let's take that failure and put it in a different light you know right, what I'm saying? Okay, Let's yeah. take that employee mm-hmm. and okay, maybe that maybe that job's not right for him. Maybe he needs to be a writer, you know, rather than a producer. So let's go take him and mm-hmm. you shift it right there and you're constantly shifting, 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 shifting right. and having the radical transparency to do so. So with that, what I'm trying to guess mm-hmm. is how the fuck are you going to shift your internal employees, your internal failures? Because mm-hmm. I'm looking at you right now and I'm like, where's the failure? <laughs> You know, like I want to see to me as, as someone who cares, mm-hmm. yeah, I want to see the next thing you do or maybe not the next thing you do. I just want to see the next failure and go, how the fuck is she going to pivot off of that? Because you're so radically transparent, you will have those failures that will f- be public in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Because you'll be open about it. And that next point, that next jump is what I'm going to be so interested in. So I know it's long, but what I'm getting to mm-hmm. is you're in a spot now where you have multiple successes successes are great they're not the most valuable thing though and that's not where you grow the most from Mm -hmm. do you think you're going to be stunted off of this success or do you think it's good and it's all momentum i feel like your greatest your greatest next step is always 
you know, it's always a, a minor setback for a major comeback. I always feel like that's what it is. And I have to have a failure right. in order for me to just explode. You're coming off mm-hmm. of like eight successes. What's well, so interesting that you, you would say that, that I, I've had so many successes in my life because, I mean, have you heard of the negative bias? No. So if we think about ourselves as, you know, primates that have evolved from primitive times where a danger was much more uh, serious in our eyes than something positive, right? So let's say you, you see a snake, that snake is going to stick in your head much more than if you find an apple and mm. you're like, okay, I need to remember where this apple is. But that, oh, yeah, the, okay. the snake is going to be much more um, imprinted into your mind. So our minds are just much more biased towards remembering the negative things. Is that That's a why, book? Uh, is the it's, negative it's like bias a, a book? I don't know, but it's a, like a psychological phenomenon, okay, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, if you think about comments, right? Like on YouTube, I've had mm-hmm. to navigate this. Negative oh, YouTube shit. comments stick in your mind way more than positive, positive ones. One. You could have like a thousand and then you could have one negative one. And all you're going to remember is that negative comment, mm-hmm. right? And similarly, I think in our own lives, we remember the negative. The negative sticks out to us. Or maybe I shouldn't speak for everyone, but for me personally, for sure. You can speak for me too. You can speak for you as well. <laughs> yeah, the negative or the mistakes that I've made are much more stark in comparison with any of the successes that I've had. Stark, so when I great word. Thank you. I haven't heard that in a long time. <laughs> so when God, I take I want inventory, inventory no, it's just as a result <laughs> of eating a lot or eating not eating, reading, <laughs> eating a lot and reading a lot. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off three times as a result. No, of- don't worry. Um, but. Uh, I think it's as a result, what was I saying? When I take inventory of my life, um, it's the negative things that that really um, jump out at me. And it's not to say that I internalize that negativity or the mistakes and think that I'm a failure or a mistake, but it's just that I I think it keeps me really humble because I I never Mm -hmm. really dwell on my successes. Whenever I do succeed or accomplish something, I'm always jumping to the next thing. And what's that. playing on my mind is just the mistakes that I made and how I can grow from that and learn from it and also share it in a way that can be accessible to other people to, to learn from as well. And I mean, you, you talk about failures, right? And I would, this isn't a failure, but this is a mistake that I've made where the lesson that I've really learned in the last few years is to not speak in such definitive terms. I've, I think I've always done so and it's always bitten me in my ass uh i remember when i left business school i was saying to people and my friends and my parents like i am never ever going back to to university never if i want to learn something i'm gonna learn it in the school of life (laughs) or i was like i will learn it on youtube any skill that i need and now here i am going back to school right so it, it just shows that it's it's hard for you to to know how you're going to be in like a few years or a decade. And the fact that we're always evolving, like you said, it, it means that it's almost guaranteed that I'm going to say some things today that I'm going to disagree with in 10 years and 20 years. But what should that do? Should that stop us from speaking our minds now? Of course not. Hell no, right? Yeah. It just means that we have to be humble and open to the fact that I'm probably making mistakes right now, but that's okay. And that's we fine. learn as we grow. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, we had a Zell North on uh, and a Zell said, that I, I was opening up. It was one of mm-hmm. our like first 10 episodes. And I was like, you know, I'm afraid of fucking up and saying mm-hmm. stupid things that this will be on record forever. Mm-hmm. And I will forever have said something dumb. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, listen, I'll, I'll look back. He was episode, I don't know, like 10, let's just say, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, I look back at episode five and mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I can't believe I said that. That's right. so stupid. Right. And he's like, listen, man, you're looking at this the entire, like entirely the wrong way. 
take that in terms of how far back do you look at yourself and be like, oh, wow, like, that's a little embarrassing or like, I didn't know a lot then or whatever it may be. Like that rate of change, see what that rate of change is and use that as a pace. Like, dude, that's such a good thing. If you look at yourself a month ago and go, Mm -hmm. fuck, like, oh man, like I had this opinion and I was so definitive about it. Like, dude, that means you've grown that much in one month. I love that. That's such a great perspective. Right, like use that as a speedometer and like, yeah, you're you're moving, you're learning, you're learning quickly. Mm. And I was like, Right, because if we look back at like 10 years and we agree with everything that we said 10 years ago, that's like a bad sign that we're not changing and progressing. Wow, that's such a great point. I love that. Amazing. And I I don't know, you know, that's coming from a person that has changed and pivoted a lot, right? And so how many times do you pivot? And I'm not saying like go out and, you know, try to make a fool of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if you look back retroactively in hindsight Mm -hmm. and if you see if you look three months ago and you're like, yeah, I was like pretty much the same person. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's not a good thing, <laughs> yeah, dude. Exactly. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. especially when you're, you know, in your 20s or yes. your 30s, like mm-hmm. you should be looking back and being like, fuck. Exactly. Yeah, I stumbled, you know, because mm-hmm. every, you know, every stumble is, it leads to something greater. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you have some new ventures on the, and I don't know if you want to speak about them, but you have some new things that you're working on, whether that be in business, mm-hmm. whether that be um, in education, first off I went the same route as you mm-hmm. and meaning I went to business school then dropped out from business school yeah my whole mouth to everybody like I'm so smart watch me go do this yeah 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 you know I was like I was like okay I get it so I'm gonna go to school get this degree and then go try to get that job well what if I just mm-hmm. said F the degree and I'm gonna go get that job and that's right, what I did right. don't get me wrong mm-hmm. like, that's what I did but I was very vocal mm-hmm. and embarrassingly yeah. um, like vocal of like don't worry i know everything you guys go learn i'm gonna go do things as i know yeah 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 (laughs) super fucking embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so for you now Mm -hmm. at this point you're at a humble point you're like all right well you know now i see the value in uh uh, post-secondary education what was that mindset change and then what made you also want to continue going the entrepreneurial route at the Mm -hmm. same time what's your mind at and, and around that okay um so I'll definitely speak to the educational standpoint Please and what do. sort of changed my perspective. But for me, it's not that I, I actually love, I love hard work and I love um, sort of like slaving away at, at a goal. Like the book was hard to write and I made a deal with myself that I'd wake up every day and write for an hour. And every day for like two years almost, I did. And sometimes I would just sit at the computer and not type anything. And sometimes I would type and then erase everything. But I did it every day. And the reason why I was able to do that is because I knew what I was working towards. I had the goal in mind. Mm -hmm. But with business school or with just the post-secondary education that I was going down, like I didn't see the end goal as something that I actually wanted. You know, the end goal of what people that I was aspiring to be like was was not something that I wanted my life to look like. And so it was like this cognitive dissonance because I was working so hard towards it, but I was working hard towards something that I didn't actually want. But in a way, it was so far down the line. It was like four years in the future that it didn't really affect my my decision-making at the time. You know, it was like I was putting off the delayed um, dissatisfaction with my life for the momentary satisfaction of fitting in and doing what my parents and society wanted me to do, which was go to school. But... Um, yeah, and then my accident in Thailand happened and I, I almost died. So I, I really had to take stock of what I was doing and reevaluate and I decided to leave and I traveled and I became a travel blogger and I worked 
and social media. And that was an amazing way for me to learn about myself as well and try on all these different hats and experience other cultures and experience myself in context with those other cultures and learn from life and have questions and be curious. But anyways, coming home from that and working as a social media manager and then just having more of like a routine, I started to realize that what I was, what I was upset about with school was not the school. It was just what I was studying, what I was working towards. And I started thinking that I wanted to go back to school and I started thinking that I wanted to study what I was actually interested in, which is psychology. And I wanted to do research and I wanted to understand these things that I've always struggled with um, from a more analytical, academic, sort of scholastic point of view. But what was stopping me from going back to school was the embarrassment. Like it, I was because I was so outspoken about leaving school. I was so embarrassed to kind of own up to the fact that I was... Hi, me again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just like four years later, yeah. and completely wrong. I was completely wrong, right? Yeah. And I also, you know, I there was a lot of humbling that I had to do to myself, you know, a lot of humility of, I might be this age, but I'm going to be in a classroom with, you know, people that are right out of high school and that that's okay. And like, it's a part of your process. And you had to go through this five years to be able to want to be here in the yeah. seat and want to be studying what you're studying. So I had all these thoughts, but I still didn't want to act on it because of that. I don't know. Um, mm. But anyways, I think I told you before, but it was doing mushrooms that allowed me to get to this place where I really didn't care about what anyone thought. You know, when I don't know what it was like for you, but when I was doing it, I just was so carefree and I, not even carefree, but I, had no inhibitions, like no inhibitions of not doing something because what someone else would judge me of or mm -hmm. as. And so during that time, it was so clear to me that if I didn't care about what other people thought or what other people would say, what I would do was go back to school. Wow. And so after coming out of the, the mushrooms, the trip, um, I was like, okay, so this is what I want to do. And people are going to think whatever they're going to think. And, I'm just not going to let it affect me because this is, it's very clear to me now that this is what I, the path that I want to go down. But it was, it was very hard for me to get to that place without experiencing that state when I was, you know, that lucid. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I always say like, you can get to that state, I think through meditation and just work on yourself, but doing it helps you know where you're trying to strive towards. You know, it, it gives you this map of what you're trying to work towards. Otherwise it's like, you're in the dark, like just, working towards this goal that you don't know where it, where it is. But mm -hmm. after doing it once, you have this guiding point and this anchor of, okay, now that I've felt it once, I know what I'm trying to get towards. I'm trying to get towards that feeling of like whatever it is for you. For me, it was just not caring about what other people thought. Mm -hmm. But yeah. That's so, a really good analogy. I like that. It's oh, like you're thanks. in the dark and you're feeling. Yeah. And but yeah, life is like that. Mm -hmm. Life is really like that. It's like you just get plopped in a room and you, you, you remember the room you know, you know the door is over there. You're trying to get to the door mm -hmm. and you're like feeling, okay, if the bed is here and then the desk is over here and the wall is here exactly, and I think yeah. these things are here. But as soon as I take my hand off of it, I kind of forget where it is at the mm -hmm. same time and I can't necessarily wow. get, I can't triangulate my position exactly correctly to get where, to where I want to go. <laughs> but I also don't know if that's really where the door is or if the door is on the other side of the uh -huh. room. I'm just not fucking sure. Uh -huh. And so to get in this, you know, awakening or this lucid state or this spot where judgments and 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 emotions and these 
blockers are just gone and you're mm-hmm. like oh the fucking lights are on the door is right there let mm-hmm. me just go walk down there yes you know, oh that's, that's so great. where the door yeah. is exactly go <laughs> and so once you've done it once it's easier to do it again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. totally so but even with that humility so i'm just imagining you rolling up to to ubc like hey guys me again you know like oh steph what <laughs> happened to you and you're like well i just i went away i went to thailand i ripped my leg open i right, came back I, right. you know i worked in a couple things i wrote a uh-huh. book i started a community da, 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 and then i still didn't know what i want to do so i did some mushrooms and now i'm here <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh you just described the last six years of my life so precisely it was beautiful yeah and i think i have clarity i know what i want to yeah. do so hi guys and i know that didn't make any sense to you 18 year olds who have no fucking clue about anything yet but you know what don't worry about it you'll get there too come yeah. on let's go study about psychology yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that was so great thing yes exactly i, I like it mm-hmm. that and sounds like a good book <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my fourth book but yeah um it's like i said it's it's a lot of humility and i now i i know i want to go to grad school as well so that's it's going to be a lot of school in my future <sighs> but it is something that i'm really excited to be working towards and it's very antithetical to the world that i inhabited for so long which is social media social media is so instantaneous it's so like you need to stay relevant. Mm-hmm. What was relevant yesterday is not even it's relevant, not relevant today. today. And it's so short-term instant gratification. And this like this new venture that I'm going to embark on is the exact opposite. It's very long-term. The results come very slowly. And you have to just kind of put your head down and work towards it. You know, it's not like you get the gratification every day from every like that you get. You do. So you it's really like a do. very... Um, polar opposite of what I was... The world that I was in for so long. And it's it's going to be really refreshing for me as well because the the need to stay relevant is such a is such an exhausting sort of taxing um endeavor to embark on of like every day trying to do something that would keep you relevant and i remember when i was full-on like this is when i was traveling and i was making all my money through youtube and instagram and ebooks or whatever i would wake up in the morning and already feel like i was behind Mm -hmm. i felt like i already needed to you know post something or share the story or um write this thing and make this video so i know i know exactly how you feel Mm -hmm. so that's amazing i i have the same inclination i'm like i'm honestly i'm just not there yet like i have a couple other blockers i'm trying to get over as well like like again similar past went to school left school did a bunch of other awesome stuff Mm -hmm. um and then now you're at this point like oh man like I really want to be in school. <laughs> you know, like I find it, mm. I really genuinely want to sit in that lecture hall and yes, learn that shit. Like I really, too. I have that. So my blocker is essentially like, I have this, so I, I came up just poor, that's super poor. And mm-hmm. that kind of gave me like a predisposition to always have this inclination around money. Like I don't need a lot of it. Mm-hmm. I just need enough. Mm. If I have enough, I'm good. Yeah. I'm like, I'm fine. Like, honestly, like I, I don't have, I'm not a material guy. I don't mm-hmm. really give two shits. Right. I just need enough. And if mm-hmm. I have enough, I'm all good. But if I don't have enough, oh my God, if I go into debt, oh my God, yeah. like don't even, don't play those games with me, you know? <laughs> And, uh, right. and so now my thing is, is like, well, I need to go through, build a career uh-huh. or build residual income or build whatever it is so I can just go to school and not even worry about money so mm-hmm. I can be free to learn. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I still like, I'm not, and that's not the truth. Like the truth is, is I can quit my job. I can use that cash, go to school uh, or even take out debt if I need, I'll be fine. Yeah. Like I'll be, even with no family. So I'm, I'll be good. Yeah. I can do that today, uh-huh. but I can't mentally do it. Right. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's my blocker and that's just me being vulnerable and open right i don't think i've said that before so um but that leads me to a point like what i want to get at is you have so through your travel you started to build up uh um 
an online presence and you started to build up uh, just essentially a portfolio of work that you then could grow on and whatnot. So you have, if someone's look, if something's very surface level for a mm-hmm. listener right now where they listen to the podcast every week and who's this girl, right? Mm-hmm. And it's in a sense, okay, so I'm going to go check her Instagram profile and it'll say vegan and podcaster and, mm-hmm. and storyteller and all that stuff. Okay, like, cool. And then they'll go to, right. the, they'll go to your YouTube and like, hey, she's like reviewing food mm-hmm. and like doing, and then they might, you know, read some of your writing and they'll be like, hey, what the fuck does this girl do? Mm-hmm. You know, like, okay, I get it. She does X, Y, and Z. She looks like she has an amazing life. She's very vulnerable, right? She's very open with where she's at but she's doing all these amazing things and I'm just stuck in my job. Mm-hmm. Like, how does this girl actually like bring money through the door? You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, that's mm-hmm. a hard question to ask, but yeah. that's something I guarantee people that are listening to this right now are thinking like, okay, yeah, I get it. You're super awesome and stuff, but you don't come from, I mean, you, you didn't yeah. have a, a million dollar trust fund. Like, how'd you make this work mm-hmm. over the past couple of years? So my entire life, um, I've always been saving up. I've always been saving. Like, I think I had a very similar scarcity mindset to you with around money. Um, you know, I gotta hate it, Steph, because I keep on saying shit, and you mm-hmm. just keep articulating it four times no, better. No, no, I'm just no, kidding. no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're yeah. priming it for me. Yeah. I had all that time to think about the right words. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I had a very similar mindset with you growing up, and so I'd always been you know, working part-time jobs and trying to save up. And I, it was similar to you. It it was like a safety net for me. I always felt safe when I had like some money in the bank saved up. And I I don't know what eventuality I was saving it up for, but anyways, nevertheless. And when I left university, I didn't have to spend my savings on schooling. So I had all these savings and that's initially what prompted me to go traveling. Cause I was like, I have this money. I'm young. I might as well sort of experience the world for a little bit. And I wasn't planning on being away for three years, which is what I eventually was gone for. But I just sort of took it day by day. And as my, like I said, as the online uh, presence started growing, I was making more money through AdSense on YouTube, which is primarily what I was, you know, making money through when I was, especially when I was vlogging every other day, you make like a a fair bit amount, especially when you're living in like Southeast Asia, which is what I was doing mostly. So the cost of living is very cheap. And so basically everything was just, you know, into the bank. Mm -hmm. And then I had, like I said, I wrote two eBooks before that. And so the sales of those were pretty instrumental as well. But the way that you, like, you can't just write an eBook and sit on it, right? right? You have to be constantly promoting it. And the way that you promote it for the most part in the social media world is by having some kind of presence. Right. And so through Instagram and through YouTube, that was all in the like goal of, I guess, selling more of those eBooks and also through YouTube, you just make money through AdSense. Yeah. Right, yeah. And then as Instagram started growing and as the, the market around paying for promotions and paying for um, ads and things or sponsored content um, started growing. I, I was very, very hesitant to, to do anything like that in the beginning, just because I was worried that I would become like a sellout or mm-hmm. just do things that yep. weren't in line with my um, morals and values. But I had to realize that I'm making the decisions. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go crazy. I know that I won't. I'm not going to post something about like some kind of detox tea because it's just not me. I don't believe in that stuff. I don't believe in restriction. I don't believe in, yeah. you know, quick weight loss. I don't believe in, helping or making people so hyper vigilant and focused on their body and their aesthetics. Anyways. Um, so I started doing more of that as well when I just realized that I could trust myself and I could trust my own values and morals to not lead me astray. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I would say it was those three things, um, doing paid and promoted, like sponsored content mm -hmm. on Instagram. So a lot of the times it was like, um, sometimes actually it was through going to restaurants and posting about the restaurants. Those mm. were my favorite because all I had to do was go eat and yeah, take a picture and then post and they'd pay me, which was great. Um, other things were like working with um, like a yoga wear company or like a, if there was like a, like acai powder or just like random things like that or like a bamboo coconut bowl or like... I've done so yeah. many things in the past. I yeah. can't even remember, but yeah. yeah. So Instagram posts, um, YouTube AdSense, and then the ebook. Wow. Mm -hmm. Crazy. You're able to craft your, your life out from that. That's wild. And you know what? It's, um, anybody can do it in a sense. Yeah, you just have anyone to be good, can. have to be true, have to be genuine. It's just a very, um, like, I think the worrying thing for me now is that there is now a career and the career is to be famous. Like, it's not to be famous because of anything, but you can just strive to be famous. You know, I went to a high school and I like spoke and I shared my journey and I was asking just out of interest what people wanted to be. Like, did you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, mm -hmm. whatever? And so many people said they wanted to be an Instagram influencer. And that, which is like, in one aspect, I'm like, okay, that's great that you feel empowered to do that. Another part of me was just so worried for them. I'm I'm so yes. worried for these people that are just, or this generation that's going to grow up on trying to f be this person that's just famous for no no apparent reason. Like, what is your skill? What is your, what is the message that you want to be famous for? Like, why do you want to have a platform? No, I just want to be famous. Do you just want to have a platform to have a platform and to have attention? Or do you want to actually say something worthwhile and meaningful with yeah, that platform? Yeah, but that was always there, though. That used to be... Oh, I just want to be a rock star. I just want to be a rap star. Right. It's just changed a little That's bit. That's true. But, like, but at least you it. had to have some sort of skill set for like to, to play music or yeah, there now was it's just like, skill behind I don't know. It. Now it's just like to be kind of like look Go good. Go viral, and, be yeah. a backpack kid or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and then the, the other part of that is like, dude, where are the, where are all the doctors and lawyers? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> we need these people. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. the other thing is they don't realize that what they're seeking is this empty promise. And I had to learn that firsthand is that no matter like at the peak, I would say of when I was traveling the most and had the most engagement on my YouTube and Instagram, I was the most unhappy yeah. at the time when I had the most attention and eyes on me was the time that I was the most insecure and unsatisfied with the life that I was living. And it was all, like I said, it's just like an empty promise of happiness and joy. And you mm -hmm. always think, okay, I'm not happy right now, but like surely after another a hundred thousand followers, will. I will be, yeah. but you, you aren't unless it's grounded in something that's true and something that's here in real life, like tangible world, not, mm -hmm. not on social media. And this thing that I've been asking a lot of my friends and just people that I meet, is and I don't really like small talk so I sometimes jump right into it which is kind of alarming but I go you know if you could describe with one word what you want out of this life what would it be and 99% of the time it's love mm. sometimes it's joy but or peace but majority of the time it's love and so I just think if if what we want is love does it need does it mean that we need to have this amount of money in the bank, this many followers look this way, be this way. It's so unconditional that there, there aren't really many prerequisites to be able to feel loved and love other people. It's this internal shift that we have to have and this perspective towards life and making things sacred in this, in our existence that doesn't come from a physical reality. It comes from an internal belief system, right? Mm -hmm. Love is something that we can cultivate no matter, no matter our financial situation, no matter what our body looks like, no matter what 
country we're in, no matter what job we have, you know, these physical realities make it easier sometimes, mm-hmm. definitely, especially when it's like you're in a destitute situation of like poverty. It can sometimes be hard to love yourself or love other people, but it's still possible. But that aside, you know, the ex- extremes aside, for the most part, most of us in Western society live a very comfortable life. Most of us aren't struggling to put food on the table. And so most of us have the luxury to be able to to understand that that's the priority and to not let our not not get so caught up in life and other things that we lose sight of what really matters. Mm-hmm. And I would say what matters is is remembering that love is what matters. Beautifully said. Thank All you me. need is love. Yeah. One love. W- one w- life. I love it. Let's end it there. Sounds I love good. it. That's amazing. Listen. You know, it's good to hear other people say these things. You yeah. know, it's good like it's good it's good positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. These are things we know, things we've seen, things we've heard, but you know, hopefully you can be a voice that can help someone internalize those things. That's the goal for me. Um me Listen, you're a beautiful soul, you're a beautiful mess, you're on a beautiful mm-hmm. journey. I'm I'm grateful just to have played a part in in where you're at. Thank and you so much. To, it means so much to me to hear that. I just want to, you know, I'm, I'm happy to watch and just see because now, now I'm, I'm plugged in. People are like movies to me, you know, yeah. like I want to like, oh, this is interesting now. Like now, I, like I don't watch Netflix. I watch people, you know, like, oh, I know That's her amazing. and how he's done right. this or how she's done this. Like, where's she going to go next? So mm-hmm. I'm just very excited and I have a lot of faith in wherever you're going to go next and, and just Thank happy so to much. have, you know, taken you and, and time stamped you in a sense. And, and now we can go back and say, hey, remember that? That was crazy. Yeah. You know, remember all those foolish things you said? Yeah. All the <laughs> mistakes you made right anyway uh, so uh, where can we plug where do you want to direct people to um they can find me on instagram that's probably the the oh. quickest and easiest yeah. or yeah that's my website so it's stephu.com my podcast is on there um you can buy my book on there and my instagram and youtube are happy and healthy 96 hello mm-hmm. i love it steph thank you so much for dropping by thank you thanks for having me awesome. this was so fun thank you that's a wrap see you guys bye